Welcome to Untold Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Osama Gowish. In 1960s, a drug initially patented in Germany that contained an amphetamine-type stimulant called phenethylin used to treat attention deficit and narcolepsy, among other conditions. The trade name of this drug was Captagon. Research by the New Lines Institute, released this month, raised an alarm of the impact that booming Captagon production is having on the region. The report said that trading Captagon in Middle East grew in 2021 to top $5 billion, posing an increasing health and security risk to the region. The 55-pages New Lines report, authored by analysts Carolyn Rose and Alexander Soderholm, further documented how members of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's family and high-ranking members of his government are involved in captagon manufacturing and smuggling. So, to learn more about the report findings, the captagon evolution in the Middle East region, and the policy recommendations, let me welcome my guest today, Caroline Rose. Caroline is a senior analyst and head of Power Vacuum Program at New Lines Institute. Caroline, welcome to the show and thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Osama, for having me today and thanks for all the listeners tuning in. Brilliant. For our listeners, if you want to ask a question or just send a message, you can press the call button. You will be held in a queue or you can use the chat icon to type your uh, message. So, Caroline, you start working on this report in 2019. So why the capital? This is the first question. And why it took almost three years of working? That's a great question. So uh, three years ago, when we started on this report, uh, Captagon was very much a, a drug that was almost exclusively associated with ISIS, Daesh in, in Syria and Iraq. And at the time, not much was known about the drug, um, both its chemical composition, its patterns, its seizure patterns, and then, of course, its profiles of consumption. But around the mid-2010s, there were a lot of articles that came out in the media regarding ISIS fighters and other jihadist organizations using and producing Captagon in, in, in somewhat small amounts, but using Captagon as an, an alternative uh, source of revenue uh, that would help arm its fighters, but then also, of course, the drugs effects would keep its fighters awake and productive and in some cases violent um, that, you know, enhance their their combat effectiveness. Uh, and so originally this project was conceived to explore that relationship and essentially explore whether this ex- almost exclusive association between Captagon and um, jihadist organizations, whether that was true. And originally in the research, um, we, we started off trying to explore that relationship and pretty soon found that the Captagon trade uh, was almost like an iceberg. There was an iceberg effect where there was only so much on the surface, but that further and further that we dug, we recognized that were, there were many different actors, both state and non-state, and a very wide and uh, diverse uh, profile of, of consumers, not only across the Middle East, um, but then also, of course, the market expanding beyond the Middle East in the Persian Gulf and then also into the Mediterranean. And when we started on this project, I would say around mid-2019, or sorry, mid-2020, 
we started yeah. it um, kind of towards the end of 2019. Mid-2020, we started to really recognize this. And then, of course, there was a really big seizure at the port of Salerno in Italy. Um, at the time, it was the largest amphetamine haul in history. And that was a major wake-up call, not only for us, but also, I think, for, for law enforcement entities and the international community at large. Because that, that was one of the first seizures that was not only extremely large in scale, but also um, uh, almost definitively traced back to uh, the Assad regime, particularly the port of Latakia. And many of the materials used were also traced back to very close associates of the Assad regime and the fourth division. And from there, we recognized that there was a whole new level of importance to the report. And as I'm sure many listeners understand, and I know you too as well as Osama, it's, it's extremely hard to gather this level of data and also, of course, kind of conduct and identify that next layer of research with the Captagon trade. And so my co-author, Alex, and I, we, we both really tried to make this report the most comprehensive um, report not only on on Captagon on the trade and and the and the patterns of, of seizures, but then also of course shed light on Captagon consumption and some of the public health risks that this trade raises in the region and beyond. It's a kind of investigative journalism. Yep. Sorry, I didn't I didn't hear that last question. Yeah, it's it's a kind of investigative journalism. You investigated yes. this for three years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it took, it took, it really did. Um, it was a challenging project. That's absolutely for sure. And then also, of course, there were a lot of security concerns as well. And, and naturally so with this trade, um, a lot of lives are affected by this trade in some shape or form. Uh, many, many people, you know, of course, have to take risks uh, by not only just smuggling this across borders, but also even even with consumption. And so really, we tried to make sure that, you know, with this project, with, with the work that we were doing, with the research that we were doing, we wanted to make sure that we respected, um, you know, the security and the sensitivities of, of many of the people that yeah. were affected. So, of course, it took and- very long. And I would also say too, you know, about around like the year and a half mark, we almost were, we almost felt like it was ready to be published, but then the Captagon trade mushroomed. It, it just ex- it grew extremely in between 2020 and 2021, and then you know more updates. I think it, that was probably the most challenging part was just continuing the research and the writing because the trade was growing so fast and we almost couldn't keep up there for a bit. And and did you travel to Syria? We were not able to travel to Syria. However, we were able to travel to various um, destination and transit markets. And some of the biggest field work that we did was in Beirut, Lebanon, where we did work with a number of rehabilitation centers um, and healthcare workers that were seeing Captagon consumption and addiction. They were essentially on the front lines. And we were able to talk to a, a variety of sources on the ground um, that knew about the Captagon trade. And then also, of course, we worked with a, a series of, of um, individuals that also had firsthand experience in, in Captagon consumption and trafficking. Yeah. And um, in, in your foreword in, in the report, you said the authors of this report began to investigate the veracity and the strength of the narco-terrorist and jihadi drug claims. And as the project developed, it became evident that there is much more to the Captagon trade than what is signaled by the so-called narco-terrorist nexus. So this was the starting point, Carolyn, the narco-terrorist claims? 
Certainly. Uh, so around 2015, 2016, when Daesh was making a series of territorial consolidate, you know, their, their big wave of territorial consolidation in the Levant, uh, you know, this was something that sparked a lot of media attention, especially when Captagon started to resurface um, in public dialogue. And for example, the attacks in Paris, that, that drew a lot of attention particularly um, when there were claims that one of the attackers was using Capticon at the time. Um, we found that, you know, there, these claims were unverified and there, there was a lot of sensationalism that was associated with this, uh, you know, the, the claims that jihadist organizations were just dependent on Capticon in order to conduct these territorial consolidations and, and, and many of these attacks. Um, and from there, that's what really inspired is whether this narrative was a myth, whether it was partially real uh, or, or whether it was completely true and how, you know, if that was true, how dependent was uh, ISIS on, on Captagon, on production and on trafficking in order to uh, fund their operations, in order to fund their fighters. And very soon, we, that's when we recognized that the trade was much larger than just the narco-terrorist nexus. And not only did we identify that, you know, many of these narratives were extremely sensationalist, but Captagon was being produced and consumed and trafficked by rebel warlords, as well as, of course, um, actors affiliated with the Assad regime. And very soon afterwards, um, Hezbollah and IRGC affiliated militias and actors. Yeah. And um, how did you get the conclusion that Syrian regime is involved in the Captagon trade? So a variety of different levels. One, of course, is just yeah. looking at the seizure data uh, to start. Uh, so if you look at a lot of these Captagon seizures and you look at their port of origin, um, even if they use transshipment sites, a lot of them originated from the port of Latakia, which as many people who follow Syria know that that is exclusively associated, um, controlled, and of course accessed by members of the Assad regime, um, uh, you know, of course, uh, members that are also associated oh. with the fourth division and then a number of other actors, for example, um, Hezbollah and, and some members of the IRGC. Uh, I think it's also notable too, that if you look at some of the packaging materials that have been used, um, there have been some extremely important investigative work. Uh, it, it, some was done by Christoph Reuter, who was, um, uh, gosh, I'm blanking on the, on the, on the, uh, on the publication that he works for. Uh, but he did some incredible investigatory work, uh, regarding the packaging materials that was used in, in, in some of the seizures, for example, the port of Salerno seizure where cardboard cylinders and, um, you know, some of the other materials that were used were, were traced back to key, uh, allies of the Assad regime, um, members that are involved in the agricultural sector or in, uh, you know, Syria's, uh, transportation networks and, with those members, of course, identified, that's when we essentially started to look at the larger circle of individuals, companies that, that are involved in Captagon trafficking. And we identified, um, we built upon existing work. Um, some, some of the work has been done by excellent organizations, for example, the Center for Operational Analysis and Research Corps. Um, the OCCRP and a number of other organizations. And then also, of course, accounting our own, 
Um, we identified key individuals like Koder Taher, who is, of course, associated with um, Neptune Overseas Limited um, and a few other members of the Assad circle. Of course, Maher al-Assad, who is in charge of the fourth division um, and other individuals both inside of Syria and also in Lebanon, individuals like um, Mohammed uh, Hassan Duko, who was recently arrested in, in Lebanon last spring um, for his connections with the Assad, um, sorry, for his connections with the Capticon trade. Uh, and, you know, of course, through this, we, we started to paint a big picture of how large the Capticon trade is. And then also, of course, the level of state participation. But I'd also like to say as well is that, you know, we, we used very limited data that was out there. And what I'm hoping is that this report is the start of many more projects uh, conducted, uh, you know, by by my by myself, but also, of course, other yeah. colleagues, other journalists, other, uh, you know, think tank analysts in, in the field that do have an interest in this in identifying how big this trade is. I think that this is really the, the first of many reports that will be done on the subject. And so I really hope that this can inspire more work to be done, given the deficit of data. Yeah, and you are an expert in the Middle East, uh, Karen. So you know, in in many authoritarian regime in the Middle East, there are um, elements of the government they are doing business like this just for their own interest. So how did you prove that these elements of an Assad regime are doing this trade, the Captain trade, as a state, not as individuals? That's a great question. And I think the fact that a lot of these shipments that were dispatched from formal ports, formal ports of entry and exit um, that, of course, are controlled by the government and would require ministry level or higher uh, approval to dispatch. And again, you know, this isn't just this isn't just sending individuals with Captagon, a few hundred Captagon pills in a backpack we're starting to see seizures that are in the millions. Um, and, you know, over the course of 2021 and 2022 so far, it's not, it's no longer um, strange or it's no longer unusual to see a Captagon shipment of 2.5 million tablets or 5 million tablets. And in the case of uh, a seizure in the port of Klang in Malaysia, 94.8 million tablets. I mean, it's absolutely astonishing the level of Captagon we're starting to see produced. And if you think about it, you know, the, the capacity of ISIS or some non-state actors, they cannot accomplish they cannot accomplish production of tablets of this size. So I think that that is one dead giveaway. And then, of course, the fact that many of these are being dispatched from state-owned and controlled ports that will require ministry-level approval on sometimes um, commercial uh, liners, like commercial commercial vessels that also are either state-owned or state-affiliated. And I think that that is also another dead giveaway. Um, of course, though, we, we still don't know the exact level of profit many of these individuals are making from the Capticon trade, just given that it is off the books. And, uh, you know, that's a question I get asked a lot is, you know, we, we value yeah. the Capticon trade at $5.7 billion. Is all of that $5.7 billion being rerouted back into Syria? And the question is that we don't know. Or sorry, the answer is that we don't know. Hmm. Um, and that's definitely a scary element is just that we, we, we don't know. This is another iceberg that we really do need to explore a bit more. Um, you know, you know Carolyn, yeah, the, there is a two words question. Why Syria? Well, I think that Syria's 
a kind of evolving power vacuum has definitely provided some of the conducive conditions and elements that, have, that has allowed the Captagon trade to thrive. And I do want to say is that, you know, a lot of a lot of attention has been paid, of course, to the, the state element of the Captagon trade. But even before such high levels of state participation in the Captagon trade, other actors, civilians, rebel groups, small organizations, communities were, were producing Captagon in very small amounts. And I think that the Civil War certainly exacerbated this just given the deficit of, of law enforcement, um, you know, other priorities that, of course, took hold. And so Captagon really was a was a drug that thrived, uh, not only because of the lessened risk of interdiction, uh, but then also, of course, the fact that Captagon has very like has many different uses. Um, Captagon can be used to stay up at night. It can be used to create a feeling of euphoria, a rush, so to speak. But then also Captagon can be used to deal with trauma and deal with very serious and dark things. For example, staving hunger, staying up at night to do extra work shifts. Um, you know, Captagon very much is, is used as a coping mechanism in, in certain places and, and among certain users. So whether you're looking to, you know, for example, enhance your, your fighting capabilities, uh, Captagon has been seen as a useful substance. Uh, but then also, of course, for those that are dealing with um, psychological trauma from war, from hunger, from the devastating conditions that we've seen in Syria, Captagon has been seen as, as very useful for users there. So I think that that's yeah. why it's been so popular. And I think this would raise a fundamental question. Why Captagon considered as an illicit drug? So Captagon um, today is not the Captagon, the Captagon that we saw of the 1960s when it first emerged on the licit pharmaceutical market uh, produced by a German pharmaceutical company called Degusa AG. Uh, it, at the time, its base was phenethylene and it was on the licit pharmaceutical market, sold in many different countries, marketed for a number of different disorders like ADHD, um, sometimes promoted even as a weight loss supplement. And uh, in the 1970s and 1980s, a lot of medical studies were released that Captagon, you know, the phenethylene based formula was not healthy. Uh, it, it, it caused a lot of cardiovascular issues, a lot, a lot of psychosomatic issues, um, and a number of other conditions that that were proved uh, to be to be not not great, especially compared to some of the competitors that were on the market, for example, Ritalin, uh, Adderall, a number of other substances. So phenethylene was scheduled in the mid-1980s um, and then phased out of a lot of countries and a lot of um, pharmaceutical markets. Uh, and by the early 2000s, no country um, was, was selling phenethylene, Captagon, as it was called, uh, licitly. Uh, that being said, you know, of course, in the in the late 90s and early uh, 2000s, Captagon then uh, surfaced on the illicit market. It was seen as a party drug for a, some time, particularly in the Balkans. And then production shift shifted to the Levant, particularly Syria and Lebanon at the time. And in the 2000s, somewhere in there, uh, we started to see evidence that Captagon and its formula was changing. 
And now, given the chemical analysis that we've seen and we've studied, we can no longer call the captagon of today the captagon of yesterday. Uh, that meaning that it, does, it no longer comprises the original phenethylene formula. Now it has amphetamine um, anywhere between you know six percent and forty six percent of amphetamine in the in the pill. Sometimes no amphetamine at all, and a variety of different cutting agents. Um, uh, for example, additives like caffeine. Quinine, um, pseudoephedrine, uh, sometimes uh, residue of copper and, and nickel and a number of other substances that can be quite harmful to the consumer. But the fact that, again, there's no regulation of this, there's no way to control Captagon production methods, and the fact that so many different actors are producing Captagon, um, we've seen the chemical composition all over the place. So, you know, the Captagon that we're seeing seized in Saudi Arabia is very different than the Captagon that we're seeing seized in, uh, you know, Lebanon or Jordan. And I, I think, Caroline, this is a very interesting point. I, I read your report, and you mentioned that the changing in Captagon chemical formula is a challenge, a big challenge. Why? Absolutely. Well, I would say first, um, you know, the fact that such a good chunk of the production is being undertaken in regime held areas, likely by regime affiliated or uh, actors that are directly affiliated with the regime, such as the fourth division. And these are the same actors that are also, of course, uh, participating in gross human rights violations and um, the same actors that have authorized uh, chemical weapons attacks on their own citizens. And so with that, of course, taken into account, uh, why trust that same actor in producing a substance for profit? Um, I, I, I personally wouldn't. And, and I think that that definitely does yeah. raise a public health concern. Um, also, there's very there's limited um, medical studies conducted on captagon consumption, not only the levels of captagon consumption, but also some of the effects that that consumers have felt. And it's scary because this this chemical composition is changing rapidly. There's no way to control it. It's very hard to keep up with. Um, but some of the few studies that we've seen, um, the effects have been very concerning. Um, so, for example, of course, it, it puts incredible stress on your heart. It has a lot of long-term and chronic conditions affiliated with it. Um, and, and, of course, also some short-term and acute health conditions affiliated with it as well. Um, so, of course, with, with the level of consumption that we've seen, particularly in the Persian Gulf, where it's very popular, um, this is something that definitely should alarm uh, not only public health sectors, but also just national governments uh, in, it, in its entirety. And I think that this really does uh, pose a kind of social health and political problem that's emerging throughout the Middle East, but particularly in the Persian Gulf. Yeah. And when we talk about the smugglers' routes to move and trade this captagon, um, you, Robert... Do you have a finding about the roots of the smugglers and from Syria to Middle East? And Certainly. So, you know, in the early days of the trade, I think that land routes were, were likely the most common routes used. Um, but really in the 2019, 2020, and especially 2021, 20, uh, maritime commercial routes started to become incredibly popular. And that's when we started to see the uh, the uptick in transshipment sites, kind of these second sites that smugglers would use um, in European ports and North African ports, for example, in Libya, in Greece, in Italy, and in some cases, even Romania, where they would essentially uh, take Captagon shipments there, get an EU stamp on it to essentially cover up its origin port. 
and then reroute that back into the Persian Gulf and into to where destination markets were. And uh, so we've seen a huge use of that. But also recently, particularly after uh, the Jordanian Syrian border crossing opening in last fall, uh, we've seen a huge uptick in Captagon land smuggling operations uh, through the Syrian Jordanian border, uh, which of course then it's it's through uh, Saudi Arabia where it reaches a number of different destination markets. We've also seen, and this is a very recent trend, Iraq um, starting to to become a very popular transit site for Captagon. And we've seen a number of different seizures conducted along the Iraqi-Syrian border and elsewhere in, in uh, Iraq, also along the Iraqi-Kuwaiti border, um, for example, where uh, smugglers have used the intestines of live sheep and livestock and a number of other ways to smuggle Captagon. And so really, these these routes are evolving. And I think that these smugglers are very sophisticated and advanced, and they're adapting to the many constraints that uh, some countries have imposed on, on the Captagon trade and, and trying to restrict smuggling. Okay, so um, my next question about the main market of Captagon trade, but I think we have a, a caller so highly, you just unmute yourself, please, and ask your question. Uh, good evening, Dr. Osama. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? My name is Suhail. I'm from Palestine, especially from the West Bank. Hello, Suhail. Hello. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm hearing yeah, you. Well. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just here. I'm not here to talk about anything. I'm just here to say hi to you. And we all love you. I'm here to, to give you my regards by the name of the Palestinian people. Thank you. Th thank you very much, Soil. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Um, back to you again, Caroline. So the main market of Captagon trade is, is Syria and Middle Eastern countries. No, there, there is a different yes. market. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Osama. I, I cut you off there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just yeah. I'm, I'm just asking if if the main market is just in Syria and other Middle Eastern countries, and Gulf is consumers, or there is a different main markets in the Middle East. That's a great question. So in the in the Persian Gulf, it's still overwhelmingly the the biggest market for Captagon. Um, of course, though, as we start to see more transit routes emerge and the smugglers are starting to use these these land routes, also maritime routes, especially in Northern Africa and in Southern Europe. There's the possibility of, of Captagon consumption increasing. Uh, and I think that Jordan, Iraq, especially are, are sites of, of great concern um, just because such large amounts of Captagon being transited through likely you know, other transnational organized criminal networks are going to also try and disseminate Captagon along those transit routes. And so it, there's a very great possibility for Captagon to become a popular substance. Also, of course, some of the um, socio and political and, and economic conditions in many of these countries are very conducive for Captagon consumption. Uh, I think about, about especially with Iraq, with the lack of provision of services, employment opportunities, and kind of the the devastating conditions that have that have definitely dominated Iraqi politics and and, and Iraqi life, 
uh, you know, captagon consumption has been reportedly on the rise. And there have been a number of different uh, articles and reports that have been written about captagon in, in Iraq. Also, of course, meth uh, as well in, in Iraq and meth use being on the rise. Um, so I, I think that certainly that's something that is in, of, of incredible concern. I would all, I would say, though, and I would caution because I think that there's been a lot of sensationalism with the narrative, oh, we're next, it's going to come here. And I think that I've received this this question a lot from both American and European audiences, and it's, will Captagon come here next? And I, I don't necessarily think that that will be the case. There's always, of course, the possibility. Captagon is a very diverse substance. It has the ability to penetrate different markets because it has so many different effects. However, that being said, I think that this still primarily um, is directed towards Middle Eastern consumers. And while I think it is expanding very rapidly in the Middle East outside of just the Persian Gulf, I do think, though, that, you know, it will stay constrained to the Mediterranean Persian Gulf zone, but it will become a, a more increasing challenge. I will say that. And according to your report, the reason beyond this trade, is it political instability in these countries or the um, declined economic and uh, um, economic and the, the, the hard life in these countries or, or, or there, there is other reasons beyond this trade? I think that certainly uh, political, economic and, and, and some social elements certainly have contributed to the rise of Captagon. In regards to consumption itself, and I think that looking at the different cases of Capricorn consumption in Syria and Lebanon, for example, and, and comparing that with Capricorn consumption in the Gulf, uh, you know, it, they're very different demogra- demographic profiles uh, of cons- of Capricorn consumers. And in the in the Persian Gulf, where you have uh, a bit more of a wealthier, more youthful uh, consumer base, I think that it's it's used for recreational purposes. Is just to pass the time. Um, you know, many of them are unemployed. There's not much to do. And, you know, this is just something that you do, something to pass the time. On top of that, also, of course, Captagon used to have illicit and more, I guess you could say, legitimate um, history, having been on the illicit pharmaceutical market in the 1960s. And so I think that given the taboo of drug use, uh, Captagon is seen in, in some, some eyes as uh, a, a, a a kind of a lesser drug, not a drug that's not as hard as other substances, for example, cocaine and meth, which is why I think that, you know, the taboo has really played into captagon consumption, especially more conservative societies in the Persian Gulf. Now, of course, in Lebanon and Syria, I think that economic conditions have certainly played a role in captagon consumption, given captagon's ability to keep you up. You can do that second night shift, uh, you know, if, if you're a truck driver or a taxi driver or a student just trying to get through the day. Um, also, of course, for those who are waiting in long bread lines, it, it allows you yeah. to stave hunger for longer. And so really, I think that Captagon has been seen as a useful thing just to get through the day for a lot of Captagon consumers. Also providing that euphoric feeling that I think helps alleviate trauma. And so, you know, I think that that's those conditions have certainly, uh, you know, propelled Captagon usage. And on the production side, certainly, I think that Captagon, given it's such a lucrative trade with a proven consumer base in the Persian Gulf, where Captagon tablets sell for $20, sometimes $25 per tablet, it's a very profitable alternative revenue source. And so as the Lebanese and Syrian economy has spiraled, I think that for many uh, producers, both state and non-state actors, this has been something that they've resorted to.
Yeah, talking about Lebanon, you mentioned in your report the role of Hezbollah in Lebanon. So this would raise the question again, the nexus of captagon and militant warfare and jihadists. Absolutely. So, of course, Hezbollah, I think, is, a, is a, an essential element in the captagon trade. And while they don't have the industrial sized production centers that we identified in Syria, I think that they're still incredibly important because they definitely do bring in um, another very crucial element that I don't think has been discussed enough, which is, of course, the role of Iran aligned organizations and their facilitation of the Capticon trade. So while, of course, we focus a lot on Syria and, and you know, these regime held areas where, where Capticon production and trafficking is very popular, um, it's Hezbollah and it's, uh, in some cases, some IRGC militias that have been affiliated with the 4th Division that have played a very key role in facilitating Capticon um, and, and, and transferring it between borders, uh, providing a lot of the logistical and transportation assistance that has allowed Capticon to really creep outside of the Levant. And so, and also, of course, they run a, a series of small scale Captagon laboratories. We identified 20 uh, along, kind of straddled along the Syrian and, and Lebanese border. A lot of these, of course, when there's an increased threat of, of interdiction and, and lab busts from Lebanese security forces, they like to transfer these, uh, these Captagon labs, which are a lot of them are mobile across the border into Syria. And so, definitely, you do have, um, you know, th this is definitely the non state element and nexus with the Captagon trade. Um, but again, they're also exploiting these, these power vacuums and these security vacuums that are along the Bekaa Valley and the Kalmoon Mountain Range. And then also, of course, you know, th this, these relationships um, and Shabiha networks that exist in the Levant. We are talking about Syria, declined economic countries. We are talking about Lebanon, a very um, bad and poor country. And maybe someone ask a question, Caroline. Do these countries, these poor countries, have the capacity to do the laboratory and the manufacture for such a trade? Certainly. I think that it, it takes the right actor to do it. And, and, and Capricorn is a very cheap and easy substance to produce, especially to in today's market where really you can market almost everything as, as Captagon, as long as you are able to put two crescent moons um, and, and essentially, uh, you know, use this tableting um, machine and, and, and have these two crescent moons on the top. Because we, we, we've seen some Captagon tablets with chemical profiles where there's been no amphetamine at all. Um, it's been just a, a mishmash of, of cutting agents, for example, like caffeine and quinine and a number of other substances. And so I think that with that accounted for, with so many different and, and with such a vague definition of what Captagon is in this modern market, I think that, you know, many other countries could resort to Captagon as uh, alternative revenue streams. That being said, the level of industrial sized Captagon production that we've seen in re regime held areas, I don't think many other countries could replicate that, um, which is why, of course, I, I think that Syria re remains and will continue to remain the major hub for, for Captagon production. Yeah. Another interesting finding in your report that the captagon in the Middle East grew in 2021 to top $5 billion. So we were during the pandemic, during the people around the world were suffering from the, the pandemic and the uh, implications of the economy and all this stuff. However, we are talking about raising $5 billion for the captagon trade. How do you explain that? 
Yes, uh, that was something that you know we we kept a tracker throughout the year and added seizures and and you know I had an idea that it was going to be much larger than the 2020 market value that was offered by um, the Center for Operational Analysis. Uh, core, uh, they did an excellent study that uh, put the Captagon trade at 3.46 billion for the for 2020. And when I was putting this database of Captagon seizures, uh, tracking it from 2017 onward, I already knew that it was going to be much larger than 2020. But of course, when calculating the the trade's value with, of course, the the increased costs and these increased seizures. Um, it was just astounding seeing that $5.7 billion uh, amount. And also, I would like to caveat and say that this is this is only what was seized. So this database is only what was uh, o- only the amount of Captagon tablets that were seized by law enforcement facilities. And that tells us this. And it's the fact that there are a lot of Captagon tablets that were not detected by law enforcement. And uh, the UN uh, over over the last two years estimated that globally, 10% of uh, drug and illicit uh, shipments are, are even detected in the first place by law enforcement um, uh, authorities and systems. And so, you know, this is really the tip of the iceberg. The Captagon trade and, and the amount of tablets that are floating out there likely much larger than just the $5.7 billion value that we gave. Um, but of course, you know, that was what we had. And so, of course, we wanted to ensure that we we went off of the, the shipments that we have recorded. Um, in regards to, you know, $5.7 billion, we don't know exactly how much is going back into the pockets of producers and which producers. I think that that is almost impossible to identify. Um, especially too with so many middlemen and so many other actors that are engaged in the trade at different points in time. Those that are working in these factories producing Captagon, those that are helping uh, transport Captagon to, you know, between ports of entry and exit, those that are the dealers, and then also, of course, any other types of middlemen that facilitate the Captagon trade. Um, so definitely that is a very surprising uh, amount. And we're, we're, we're looking to replicate this report in 2022. And already we've, we've seen we have this big tracker. Uh, 2022 seizures are looks like they're on track to, to beat the record in 2021. So this Captagon, the Captagon trade is really mushrooming in 2022 um, and already setting new records. Yeah. And how was the position of Gulf countries in your report? So the position of Gulf countries, I think that, you know, this has been something that has been overwhelmingly concerning for for many of their, especially their customs and Zakat um, customs authority, uh, particularly in Saudi Arabia, where I think Saudi Arabia has is, is definitely one of the major hubs um, for Captagon consumption. And so this has really sparked a lot of interest, particularly um, you know, it, I think it has also inspired regional dialogue and, and um, assistance between law enforcement systems. That being said, I do think that, you know, particularly with Saudi Arabia and other Gulf countries, it has um, increased a lot of pressure on uh, transit countries, for example, Lebanon, um, most definitely Lebanon, to increase their interdiction capacity and put pressure on Hezbollah and these actors that are facilitating the Captagon trade. And in countries like Hez- or sorry, in countries like Lebanon, I think it's been incredibly difficult um, to increase 
interdictions and to increase seizures. But then, of course, uh, I'll also try and um, in- ensure that, you know, their uh, balance out Hezbollah and ensure that, you know, there is no type of political victory for Hezbollah. So I think it's been a very difficult balancing act for Lebanon. Um, and in Jordan, I think that Jordan has been extremely concerned, especially as clashes have become very violent and even fatal between Captagon smugglers and Jordanian um, security forces and army forces. Yeah, and I, I read a report recently, last week, after your uh, report on BBC, they are talking about Jordan, uh, Jordanian government. They issued a plan to uh, monitor and target smugglers regarding the Captagon trade. Yes, yes. And I think that, you know, Jordan, they've invested so much in their border security system, and it's been something that has been incredibly important, especially with staving any type of overspill of, uh, you know, Daesh fighters and any kind of violent overspill from the Syrian war. Uh, but now I think that the Captagon crisis has has definitely introduced a different uh, sort of, of threat to, to Jordan, um, and particularly to their public health sector as well. I think that that has been something that has sparked a lot of concern just because there are not a lot of rehabilitative care centers and services that are offered in Jordan. I mean, they, they do exist. There are some. But um, certainly, you know, if there if there's an overwhelming flow of Captagon and if you know there's a new consumer base identified in Jordan, I think that's been something that has really concerned the Jordanian government, especially, too, in the wake of covid. And you know, that's been a strain yeah. on their healthcare capacity. And it's been not a very financially easy year for anyone in the Middle East, even for Jordan. Yeah, one of of the most important part of your report, Carolyn, was the policy recommendation. You called for some policy recommendations. So would you please brief us about it? Certainly. So uh, Captagon, the Captagon trade for a while was was growing under, you know, the, under the radar of many governments. Um, but now, you know, it, it's very clear that governments are, are very much attuned to the Captagon threat. And at this point, really, there's been only a, a response on the law enforcement level. And even there, I think there's a lot of room for improvement, for example, increasing interdiction capacity. And then also, of course, intelligence sharing and sharing of best practices between transit and destination countries. But also, I think that the Captagon uh, challenge definitely calls for more investment in healthcare capacity in, um, in, in, in trauma services, in rehabilitative care, in harm reduction facilities, and then especially, especially more research on the Captagon trade, more lab analysis that tells us the chemical composition of Captagon and how the, how the, how the uh, pill is changing, more uh, investigative work into the actors behind the Captagon trade, and potentially how these actors are using Captagon to fund their own operations, more research into seizure patterns and what law enforcement uh, can do to help interdict Captagon, but then also, of course, help reduce the supply, help help disrupt the supply chain of Captagon. Um, all of these, I think, are incredibly important. And I think that they all start with two things. Um, one, of course, establishing a regional mechanism between uh, countries that are affected by the Captagon trade, uh, particularly transit and destination countries. Um, I don't think Syria should be included in this, unfortunately. Um, and also, I think that Lebanon certainly should have, have, of course, a place in discussions. But also, of course, I think that, you know, given the role of Hezbollah, it's going to be difficult. Uh, but to create this regional mechanism between countries that are affected by the Captagon trade to share information, to share best practices, 
discuss the Capticon trade, to raise awareness about the trade. And then I also think that from a U.S. perspective in Washington, it's very important for the United States to establish an interagency process that does establish a a strategy on the Capticon trade, ways to help interdict it, ways to advise and to assist our partners in the Middle East, in the Mediterranean and elsewhere that are trying and seeking help to counteract the Capticon trade. And then, of course, promote accountability with many of these actors that are engaged. And do you think with the current administration in the United States, is this trade on the priority of, of this administration? I haven't necessarily seen it quite yet, um, but I do think that uh, this definitely presents an opportunity for this administration to engage not only, of course, on Syria and, and the Middle East at large, but be a proactive actor on, on an issue that really is is growing. And I think the U.S. has a lot of capacity to help assist with. And, you know, when I say, you know, counteract the Capticon trade, I don't say end it. There's going to be I don't think we're going to see Capticon just disappear into thin air. Um, and I'm not I don't think that it would be wise for this administration to try a kind of a Reagan-esque war on drugs campaign. I don't think that that's going to be something that would be would be benefiting anyone. And I don't think it would be effective. Um, really, what we need to think about is managing the Capticon trade. And we need to think about it from two sides, which is supply and demand. Um, I think demand is incredibly important because it focuses on on the individuals that are affected by Capticon. Um, and, you know, really, we have to look at providing services, providing psychological services, and also, of course, healthcare services that not only help promote information about Captagon's um, terrible side effects, and, and, and it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, um, uh, it's, it's effects, uh, but then also, of course, uh, promoting information about um, rehabilitation, about harm reduction, about ways to uh, you know, identify Captagon, ways to report it to authorities, and of course, you know, really uh, reduce demand. Uh, and then of course, from a supply side, I think that that's another whole policy challenge where we have to think about how we do uh, look to restrict the Assad regime's uh, engagement in production, how they're able to produce Captagon, how they're able to, you know, use manufacturing facilities and so on. And so I think yeah. that really this, this two sides, these two sides are really important. And how do you see the future of this trade? I think that this trade is going to continue, unfortunately, to really, really expand, um, particularly in the Middle East. I think that in Jordan and especially in Iraq, I think Iraq is becoming is going to become a very popular hub for Capticon consumption and addiction. And um, I think that we're already starting to see it become a, a, a really great mess um, in, in particularly areas along the, the Iraqi and Syrian border, um, which is really horrific to see just because they really have not been able to invest a lot in their healthcare system, especially with, with um, drug addiction and uh, rehabilitation services. And so that really is something that's concerned me as a researcher and someone that cares, of course, about Iraq. Um, also, of course, I think that Jordan is going to continue to be affected, especially by violent clashes along its border. And I think that we're starting to see the uh, trade expand, at least with transit ship, sorry, transshipment sites in um, Africa, uh, both in sub- sub-Saharan Africa that, and then also, of course, North. Hey, Carolyn? Oh, can you hear me? Uh, did I? Yeah, now I can hear you. Uh, your voice cut off. Oh, sorry about that. Um, 
Yeah, I think that I really do think that we're going to see increased uh, transshipment sites and, and increased interdictions in North Africa and sub-Saharan Africa as well. Okay, brilliant. And my, my final question, Carolyn, if I, I will imagine now that I'm the man who published this report and I'm talking about captain trade in Syria and I revealed some information for the first time that the state and the regime of Bashar al-Assad is involved in this uh, illicit drug. So um, the, the, the reaction of the government will be, they will accusing me of publishing fake news, attacking the state, and will describe me as the enemy of the state. So do you expect that the Syrian regime or Hezbollah in Lebanon may targeting new lines, institute, or yourself or your colleague, in, in, in this report, because you are doing something, it's prohibited in the Middle East, and you are the expert here. What do you think? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, it's very possible. And, uh, you know, again, we, when I, it took three years to publish, and uh, we were incredibly careful with the sources that we used. Uh, you know, we, we, we talked to a series of practitioners um, in international organizations, sources on the ground. Uh, really, we had a very comprehensive overview of the literature and were incredibly careful and cautious with the sources that we used. Um, and then, of course, the ones that we did use, uh, you know, we, we, we made sure to caveat if any sort of source was, uh, you know, pro-regime or, for example, pro-resistance. Uh, and I think that that was incredible. It's an incredibly important point to point out. Um, and then additionally, of course, I think that it's also notable that, yes, I think that the, the Syrian regime has been very careful in trying to distance itself from the Captagon trade, which is why we see an occasional seizure inside of regime held areas. Um, and, you know, really, these are face saving measures that they want to impose. Uh, but again, you know, you, you have to look at these seizures, read between the lines and notice that really there are only a few actors that are able to carry out, uh, you know, shipments of this size. And that's something that we really do put forward. And we understand that the Captagon trade has not been widely covered. Um, again, we, we really did start this project uh, in order to promote more understanding, but then also more policy attention about the Captagon trade and where it raise awareness, uh, just because many people are suffering from this. Malign actors are using this trade to profit in some shape or form, even though we don't know exactly how much. And this is something that really should, um, you know, really grab the attention of policymakers, both in Washington, in Europe, and of course, in the Middle East. Definitely. Yeah, Carolyn, you, you are always doing great work. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Osama. Thank you so much. And thanks for everyone for who, who listened. Thank you. And see you all. Bye. Bye.